0: Hey, it's Al Donato. and I'm Alicia Sani from HuffPost Canada. You're listening to Born and Raised, a podcast about children of immigrants living in Canada, and you've joined us
1: right in the middle of a language lesson. Tung, I think you can use Tung to express your love for someone who's in a safe, safe spot of your. Um, Meet Kimbo. She's a Vietnamese
0: refugee who came to Manitoba with her parents when she was very young. I asked her to tell us about all the ways she understands love in the Where Vietnamese language.
1: You feel like you can trust them. They have your respect and you have their respect. E-U, it's spelled Y-E-U. E-U is a term that you would use to describe your love for your partner. So it's a very deep intimate love. You wouldn't use you to describe your love for your for anyone else. just your partner
0: Kim used to be a serial monogamist. She was always looking for that feeling of you, that very deep intimate love. She kept dating but couldn't find it. so some time ago Kim made a choice. She wanted to be alone.
1: The next stage of love is we. We is the kind of sh- love that you would show to a partner that you're no longer with, a friend that you no longer talk to, uh, someone that you spent a lot of time with but are no longer around. It's a love that's so
0: Kim made yourself. that conscious decision to be single but and to find out what it's like to fall in love with herself, to fall in self-love. So On the day we met, she was buying herself
1: flowers. And then there's um, is men. And so this is the kind of love that you would show to your um, someone who's become a part of your family. Or they're either already part of your family or they've become a part of your family. But for Kim, there's a problem. Uh, you can't use any of those words to describe your love for yourself. Well, it's essentially wrong (laughs) we can't use it um so it's very hard to explain and describe to people why it is that i've chosen to be single why i've chosen self-love because how can you choose something that doesn't exist right
0: hey al yeah Do you love yourself? Okay, wow. We're starting deep today, huh? I feel like the real answer is something I can't say. Like, I know I should be saying, yeah, yeah, of course I do. But honestly, that would be a lie. How about you? Do you love yourself, Alicia? I mean,
2: I also want to say, of course, I love myself. I love everything about me, but
0: obviously I don't. There's a lot of things about myself that I don't love. Self-love is such a simple concept in theory, it's, you know, loving yourself, it's being good to yourself because you aren't inherently deserving of it, but it's easier said than done. Breaking away from who we think we should be and stepping into who we actually are,
2: those are ongoing conversations and that's an ongoing process that takes a lot of courage and
0: unlearning. So we're spending this episode unpacking self-love. And just so you know, this episode includes discussion about mental health issues, depression, anxiety, body image, and alcoholism that may be triggering. So please listen at your own discretion. The mindset that I had growing up was that self-love was putting yourself first, and putting yourself first is selfish, like if you took time to do something that was like fun and fulfilling, that wasn't school or it wasn't work, that was wasting your time. While I was cutting this episode together, one phrase kept popping up. I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. The first time I heard it was Kimbo, You heard her at the top of the show. And the next was from my mom. She started telling me about how she's been getting hassled by her coworkers to find a man. Find a partner, you're still young. I say, you know what? I'm alone, but I'm not lonely. I love my, I, I'm working, I love my job, I have pre- I hold- And then it hit me. My nanai is the most self-loving person I know. So you don't, you've never wanted a partner? No. Okay. No, it's just a headache though. She's always been able to face external pressure and just be so confident in her value as a person, which I've never connected to the concept of self-love before, you know, that always felt like a young person, North American kind of thing. And I think that's because the way Canadians understand self-love is through self-celebration and indulging in our desires, which my mom has never been about. And I think a lot of immigrants aren't about either. So the definition of self-love for my mom might be a little different.
2: And I think a common immigrant mentality is about striving for better, like 24-7, without breaks, without rewards. Hustle ongoing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Without anything but the promise of striving. And I think that goes against what self-love
0: is all about, which is embracing all aspects of yourself, flaws and all. And that's not what a good immigrant child does, because we're supposed to be high achievers. Always, like, yeah. no matter what. Exactly. And flaws need to be corrected,
2: not accepted. Never settle for less, right? It's easy to think that your productivity is your whole value.
0: Mm. And that's why it felt selfish to prioritize my happiness as a kid. Because whenever the question of why am I valuable came around, it was always answered with because I'm smart, because I'm talented or whatever. It was never because I'm me. And I think we live in this generation of treat yourself. And especially
2: as millennials, you know, for sure, I think for myself, I haven't moved out yet. I don't know if I'm ever going to move out anytime soon. So the things that I consider quantifiable measurements of Success in my life or ways that I can make myself feel good and like I'm deserving and successful and, and valuable are through material possessions or things like a 6 or $7 latte before work and an avocado toast. I mean, people like to make fun of millennials for doing that stuff. But if I don't know if I'm ever gonna buy a house or have a family or any of these, you know, standard pillars of success in adulthood... Then, yeah, I'm going to splurge and spend a few hundred dollars on a, a nice dress or a couple of pairs of shoes, because that's what's going to make me feel happy now. And that's what I can afford right now. Exactly. Bath Bomb
0: equals self-love for this generation, unfortunately.
2: So in my circle of friends, we'll easily drop anywhere from 60 to 70 bucks, over 100 bucks regularly with Ubers, drinks, a snack, When you add all of it together, that's a normal night out. And if I even told my mom I spent that much on a night, she would freak. She would be like, that's groceries for the whole week for a family of five. Mm, Lots of judgment in that. Yeah, but it's what makes me feel good. And I
0: don't really want to stop doing it. Alicia, I'm right there with you. I do the same exact things. And I'm kind of wondering, forgive me, this is a little deep. But do you actually feel like doing these things makes you feel closer to self-love? I
2: mean, sometimes it does. Maybe if I buy a really expensive dress and I feel really pretty in it, I feel more confident walking down the street, you know, in a meeting. But when I really think about it, getting to a place where I'm really happy with who I am as a person requires me to ask a lot harder questions than a credit card can do. Like, sure, I can I can go on Amazon and go on a shopping spree, but that's not going to answer things like, why do I binge eat all the time when I'm stressed or when I feel a little bit alone? Or things like, you know, why am I not more empathetic towards certain people in my family? Do I have a lot of resentment for certain people because of my personal biases? Do I have FOMO? Am I too demanding of a person? Do I expect too much from my partner? Do I take, you know, take advantage of living with my parents and not treating them as respectfully as I could all the time. Those are things that a nice dress won't answer. And so when I think about loving myself and being the best version of myself, I don't
0: think these things necessarily do it. I can really relate to that because I do it all the time too. Um, And in my case, it sometimes leads into dangerous territory. One thing I deal with is ideation, which is basically negative self-talk that repeats in your head intrusively, like over and over again, like a background process throughout the day. And no act of self-love ever seems to pierce it. Like No matter how much I spend, no matter how much I'm praised or feel like I've accomplished, I'm always thinking these terrible things about myself. And I'm really trying to work on it. Like my mom, as I mentioned, is the most self-loving person I know, and I really try to emulate her in the tasks that she does, the activities that bring her joy, Um, and also a lot of the verbal things she says about herself, I try to say to myself. So whenever I'm faced with an intrusive thought lately, I've been verbally kind of saying, no, you're wrong. And it makes me sound a bit silly when I walk down the street, but so far, haven't been taking Ubers or spending late nights as much as I used to. Okay, that was a bit heavy, not going to lie. This is something our next guest also struggles with. She knows all about what it's like to search for self-love.
3: So my name is Josephine Mouinbois. I'm a writer and my family's from Congo. My parents moved from the Congo to Angola in the 80s. And then from there, around the 90s, we moved to Quebec. And then I was born in Quebec City.
0: At a young age, Josephine noticed something was happening to her.
3: Deserted and the mind feels exhausted from your thoughts and your burdens. Really quite exhausted and just wants to find relief. It just wants peace. I'm not sure how I familiarize myself with the term depression anymore, but I knew I was depressed. Josephine had a lot to deal with. Her mother died when she was little.
0: She was getting teased at school about her weight, and she was shamed from eating the food she liked. It made her feel awful about her body, so she started pulling away from all of her friends. And by the time Josephine was 16, she was spending most of her time holed up in her room,
3: alone. Unbeknownst to me, the some of the teachers noticed it. One day, my father actually had a meeting with both the principal and vice-principal. They told him that uh, they think that I should see a counselor because they thought I was depressed. My father, he told me this, and when he told me this, he said that no Africans don't get depressed. He started telling me that Africans don't get depressed because we go through a lot of hardships. We've gone through a lot of wars, and yet we can still smile at the end of the day. Throughout the years I've heard Africans around me say different variations of it. "Oh, you're in a first you're in this first world country. What do you have to be depressed about?" You know, that's another variation of that sentence. Eventually, I started thinking, "That's right. I'm not depressed." and I should really be inspired by this because I'm in Canada and I have so many opportunities for myself here. She
0: had that mindset for years, but one day while in her third year of university, Josephine
3: woke up and she couldn't move a muscle. I couldn't get out of bed and I recognized that before the moment I could no longer get out of bed there were months where I felt like as gray as I did when I was 16 and then I thought oh my goodness I was depressed back then I just didn't want to admit it but I can't hide it from myself now because I'm in bed and I can't get up I had to ignore that sentence that just Replayed in my head for all those years, and I had to seek help as an adult because I finally could seek help for myself. It was a slow process, but
0: with counseling, Josephine was able to start walking again. I'm depressed. I'm depressed. I'm
3: depressed. I'm depressed. depressed. depressed.
0: What her father used to say was painful but josephine realized that he was trying to be supportive
3: in his own way fact of the matter is africans do get depressed what they're trying to say to you is that you can do it you can overcome this despite what you're going through is is really what's underneath those words the way i understand it now Um, is that no matter what I'm going through, I can still persevere and and just keep going.
0: Now Josephine's love for herself is informed by the knowledge that she has self-worth
3: and people who care for her. There is a communal aspect Of the African community, where if you're sick or if you clearly need extra hands around the house, let's say you've got a newborn baby, for example, your family and friends will be there to help you get better and to help you with the baby or whatever it is. I also think that's a reason why he told me not to be in my room although it wasn't expressed correctly in my opinion i do believe that there are a lot of people in the black diaspora who are um starting to realize the importance of mental health because um i've witnessed read about watched videos uh on a lot of um Black and people of color who are actively fighting the stigma in our uh, POC communities, which is absolutely beautiful. I believe that eventually one day we will come to accept that our, our you know, our children, like it's not okay to tell our children not to be depressed. In terms of my body image, it's still a real struggle um, to not look in the mirror and call myself fat. Um, I just feel like it's been ingrained in me so much. And I'm trying really hard. I, I really am. For me, self-love... It's more like a practice. Just go back to those painful moments and you say, I love you, it's okay, I'm here for you. Self-love feels uplifting, light. It feels, sometimes it feels like warm tingles. It feels happy, very happy. And the realization that you have bad days and good days and that is okay. So long as you're working towards loving yourself more, loving your body more, then you're going to be fine.
0: Finding self-love takes a lifetime of deliberate unlearning. It's kind of like a muscle. I don't mean you gotta go to the gym, but you need to exercise it, form habits around it, and practice it every single day. And it doesn't have to be expensive or
2: over the top. Right now, self-care is really trendy, but self-love isn't about having a nine-step skincare routine or buying things. Those types of treats can be part of it, sure, but without learning who you are and accepting the things you can't change, are
0: you really loving yourself? That's a really good question. I've tried to treat myself how I treat the people I love most in an effort to answer that. For instance, I really like performing acts of service for the people I care about. It's kind of my love language. So I do actions for myself that do right by my body, like sleeping right or eating good food instead of just, you know, living off bubble tea. Our last guest has spent two years making
2: self-love an everyday habit. Comedy Murthy Kortweg is a theater coordinator who uses they, them, and their pronouns. They were born in British Columbia to an Indian mother and a
4: Dutch-English father. I remember the first time I drank, I was 10 years old. And I was sipping a tiny bit of champagne for the year 2000, that new year. And I remember the sensation of fulfillment and everything just making sense. When I started drinking as a teenager, that sensation was there and I kept chasing it. Hi, my name is Kamini. I'm a recovering alcoholic and I use that term because... My relationship with alcohol is still something I think about nearly every hour of every day. So my mom is Indian and she was born in England and she's one of four daughters. Kamini's
2: maternal grandparents, their nani and Dadi, immigrated a lot. Each of Kamini's aunts were born in a different country. With every move, there was a desire for opportunity to see if there was more life could offer. Eventually they moved to Canada It's where their mother spent most of her childhood before their grandfather decided to move back to India. But that didn't stick.
4: That's kind of when the family really started to fracture, at least that portion of the family, where one by one each daughter came to Canada again.
2: Moving is a constant theme in Kamini's life. Raised by a single working mom, they have moved over 20 times. Because of the constant upheavals across countries, provinces and cities, Khamenei's family never had time to sink their roots in, or even talk about their roots.
4: And I'll get people making those jokes to me about Indian culture. Indian parents, they expect you to be doctors. That sort of ha-ha math and stuff. I, I don't even know. I literally smile and nod when folks make the jokes because they mean nothing to me. I think there is a large group of second-generation Canadians who have that experience, where they can look at their immigrant family and they can see the two distinct cultures, but that's just not the one that I've had. And there was so much cultural loss between my nanny and my mom that by the time I came around, we just didn't grow up with those types of sentences. Everything was new, I guess. Culture has an ability to give people answers and directions, whether or not you agree with them. Culture is a beautiful thing that gives you a sense of rootedness, a sense of place, a sense of time, a sense of who you are in the universe. So when you come from a family of so much disruption, so much immigration, so much change, so much cultural loss, you don't have that foundation that things like self-love come from you don't really know how to define those things. So when something like alcohol comes into the picture that gives you this ability to choose here I am, yes, you will absolutely, or I absolutely used it as a way to define self-love because it gave me the ability to make choice in a world that I felt had taken away so much of that. For comedy, alcohol
2: was the coping mechanism that for a while made them feel good. But when drinking became a problem, they discovered that self-love takes more than a rush of instant gratification.
4: You know, having lived through all these different separations and movements and, you know, cultural questions of not knowing who or what I am, knowing that I have brown skin but no other relationship to it than that. When I started drinking as a teenager, that sensation was there and I kept chasing it. I was very consistent where I would have six to 12 drinks a night, every night, seven days a week. And I would wake up delirious in the morning, manage to get myself to work, maybe eat lunch and be back and drinking in the evening to chase away the hangover and then pass out and do it again. For me, it would be pretty much always to brown out which means by the next day you can't really remember and quite often to black out which means you can't remember while you're experiencing it. I liked beer and I liked whiskey but what I really liked about them was when they erased me existing and being that's what I was looking for when I was drinking. And you're this weird mixture of so many things. You don't belong anywhere. You're uncomfortable. You move all the time. You You don't know who you are, what you are, where you're from. How do you answer any of that? And then introduce something like the drug called alcohol that can smear those edges so that you can almost disappear. And that moment feels so good. Coming off of that drug into this new space of sobriety, which is literally the worst experience I have ever had. I started getting withdrawal seizures. They were atypical, so I was conscious for them. They would last about 10-15 minutes, and I would collapse on the floor and writhe. I couldn't, couldn't talk, couldn't anything like that. And I had a period where I had that happening every day, multiple times a day. It's just bizarre, you know, that you could chase after something or that your body could have such an intimate relationship with a substance that it could literally near kill you and you still go to it. And I still think about alcohol.
2: Their turning point was joining a group therapy program. In group therapy, comedy is free to unpack their feelings and find constructive ways to deal with past trauma. Comedy is now two years into sobriety.
4: And once a week, I would go to group and learn how to cope with life without alcohol. I had to go and learn how to be a person, how to cope with stress, how to figure out what was safe, what's not safe, understand boundaries, all these things that I believe culture, for example, helps you learn and so Okay, there are practical skills to learn how to sit in a body, like breathing, like drinking water, all these quote unquote basics. And as I master them, they allow me to exist in the world in a way that's actually kind of comfortable. And therefore, I have time to go and see my nanny and ask her questions because. I now will do that instead of running away to the bar for three hours, six hours, every single day, seven days a week when I was running away from existing. I like to ask her just the basic things. What is it like when you were growing up? Literally, what was it like? What did you do with your day? The last time I was over, I was asking her what spirituality meant. What is what is that? What is spirituality in, in the culture that you grew up in in India? And she described meditation and how it's a constant practice that you're always doing. And it's in the way you cut your food to the way that you make your bed. It's a spiritual way of being every minute of every day. So that was really cool to get this this cultural snippet. I think self-love now looks like slowing down. Slowing down and keeping things very simple.
2: It's nice to hear comedy found a place that works for them.
0: It really is. I'm so thankful that they were open and honest and vulnerable with us in sharing their story. Actually, Alicia, I really want to thank you for being super open today. I thought the way you shared about your mom was so beautiful and
2: I'd love to meet her one day.
0: Well, you just might if you're lucky, but not right now, because that's the end of our episode today. That's all from us. Born and Raised is hosted by me, Aldonado. And me, Alicia Sani. Our producers are TK Matenda,
2: Stephanie Werner, and Aldonado. Hi. Our executive producers are
0: Lisa Young and Andre Lau. Additional production work courtesy of Katie Jensen and Vocal Fry Studios. Big thanks to today's guests Kim Bo, Josephine Monvois, and Kamini Murthy-Kortweg. If you want to treat yourself to more from this
2: episode, you're in luck. To see photos of our guests, show notes, and read a transcript of
0: this episode, check out halfpost.ca. Tune in for our next episode. It sounds a bit like this.
2: Until then, thanks for listening.